Welcome to We Chat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of We Chat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to request access. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I welcome Tanya Carter to our podcast today. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Hi, Catherine and Karen. How are you? Um, I'm doing good. How y'all doing? Good. I wish they all heard our uh, pre-podcast recording conversation, so we're doing good. <laughs> good, good. Lots going on. So our episode today is all about nurturing self-trust on the journey of divorce. In this episode, we will discuss how to overcome the hurdles keeping you from making confident and informed financial decisions for yourself. But first, let's meet Tanya. Tanya is a marriage and relationship exit strategist. She uses her knowledge, personal experience, and expertise to help women navigate through the process of uncoupling by providing support, advice, resources, and tools that will help mitigate interruptions in their business their work performance, and household obligations. She's the author of Divorce Your Story, A Woman's Guide to Heal and Thrive After Divorce, and she also facilitates her signature program, Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, a 12-week program to gain the strategies and tools to exit out of a relationship properly, heal intelligently, and enter and evolve into a life of freedom and fulfillment. She also not to leave this out, host a podcast called Purposely Thriving Podcast. Lots going on, Tanya. Yeah, yes, a lot going on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glad you're here with us today, and I'm really uh, looking forward to our conversation. To get started, um, can, can you just share some pieces of your story with us so the audience knows where you came from and how you got here and why you're so committed to your work? Um, yeah, so I started the work back in 20, mm, I would say 16, 17-ish. Um, 2017 is when I really realized I wanted to focus on working with divorced women. Um, initially, I didn't want to do it. Um, and not because I didn't want to help them. I didn't want to put out a, I think, out this energy that I was promoting it more so than anything. But what I also had to come and realize was that five years post my divorce, I was still in this rut. You know, I was still stuck in this story. I was in this cycle, Um, not because I wanted my marriage back. It was because of the limitations that I unconsciously put on myself that I think the experience of divorce had an impact. And what I what I thought about was how many women feel the same way. How many of them have unconsciously limit themselves because they've been through divorce, the type of um, residue that it can leave on you in terms of how you feel about yourself, your life going forward, your finances, maybe thinking you failed your children, thinking that no one else could be with you, just all the things that the mind loves to tell you. And so my goal was to really help people move beyond the experience of divorce and not necessarily associate it with who they are. And I think we do that too much is that we we make that be the exchange of our outcome and results. We align it with our value too much. So when something doesn't work, 
we could be unconsciously thinking like I'm really a failure. And I don't want people thinking that about themselves. So that's what got me into the work in 2017. And um, I love it. I love to see the transformation. What a great attitude and what a great word, the residue of divorce. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you dissipate the residue? That is so good um, because it isn't a defining, and it could be a defining moment in your life, but it doesn't define what your life should be moving forward. And boy, mm -hmm. oh boy, do are women hard on themselves. Very much so. It's Very so much true. so. Um, live behind a lot of perfectionism. And I mean, if we can think about it, there is a lot of expectation. It's like, sweetheart, you're a woman. <laughs> you are not robotic. <laughs> you know, give yourself some grace. Give yourself some compassion. Forgive yourself and, and, and release yourself of maybe some of the expectations that we have on ourselves. So those are the things that we work through so we can see beyond what mm -hmm. we've been through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Boy, That's we great. can turn this into a therapy session. I know. <laughs> so here at My Divorce Solution, we work with families, uh, women and men, sometimes separate, sometimes together on that issue of financial self-trust, because that can get very um, cloudy and gray in a marriage relationship. Um, and finances are the very core of where people start to lose their self-trust in themselves. So let's start out with Tanya. What is self-trust? Ooh, 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 ooh. I think when it comes to self-trust, I like to define self-trust as allowing yourself to make a decision OK, making the, making that decision and sticking with that decision, but also being OK with knowing that if it doesn't work out, making another one is OK. I think sometimes it's just that simple because I think sometimes we think this trust thing is about always getting it right. And I think we have to be more concerned about allowing ourselves to choose and then acting on the choice that we've made. And then also giving ourselves grace and knowing that if it doesn't work, I have the power to create a new one. And so when we think about self-trust, I think about self-trust being cultivated around something called your core values that many of us may not know or may have lost along the way. And so these are some things that's going to help you decide how to cultivate self-trust, because I think it's more of a cultivation than anything. Um, when we go against our discernment, going against our wisdom, going against what we know is true, like that gut, that core belief that we know, like this doesn't align. The more we go against that, the more you disconnect from yourself. And so the goal in learning self-trust or cultivating self-trust is really allowing yourself to, I would say, kill the noise a little bit um, of maybe what society says, culture says, even maybe some unhealthy religion that we've been taught and really just dive deep into what matters to you and moving on that, moving on that, no matter how it looks, no matter how uncertain it is, but trusting yourself to know that, you know what, I've done enough work um, and I got enough information to make this decision. And I'm going to trust myself that it's going to work, but I'm also going to trust myself to know that if it doesn't go out as planned, I have the capability to choose again. And I think that's the problem sometimes is that, we don't give ourselves the ability to constantly choose. And I, and I find that to be more of the challenge with, with self-trust th than anything. And so I, I hope that kind of answer your, answers your question. 
That was really very good and very deep. And, you know, and I think that to back up everything that you're saying, which I really um, value what you just said there, um, is that, you know, if you know that you're always working out of a good place, any decision that you make should be something that you trust. And I'm a big pivoter. So I'm a gambler and I'm a go for it kind of girl. Um, yeah. There's always a silver lining somewhere for me. So I'll mm -hmm. I'll go. And if that route just doesn't work out the way I thought it would, I'll pivot to something else. And Correct. I think it's because I'm always trying to do something that's better than what I'm doing or better than, right? So always trying to advance myself or anybody else I'm working with. And, you know, when we talk to people financially and they know they need this information, they know what they don't have. And they have such lack of confidence because they feel like if they get this information they and they don't know what to do with it, they don't trust themselves getting this information is where it comes from because they've always let somebody else lead them. And then they go to an attorney and they want them to lead them. They don't have yeah. any of that confidence. And we, for us, it's about knowing what your options are, know what's rightfully yours and knowing that you should have access to this data. And if right. you don't like, you know, then... If you don't like something, it's okay. We can move in, you can move in another direction. Or if you don't want something, you can move in another direction. So how do mm. they trust themselves to handle this information mm. if they've never done it before, or they've never asked for it before or demanded it, quite frankly, because it is your information. It is your information. And when taking this journey of, of, of self-trust, it's really after looking after your own needs and safety. I realize that many people don't take their needs into consideration. They don't take what's safe for them into consideration. They're looking for other people to decide for them. Um, and depending on the dynamics of your marriage, if you've been in something abusive, I mean, let's just take emotional abuse and someone who is verbally abusive and you, you're hearing that for decades on end, it creates a level of indecisiveness where now you're telling me to make a decision <clears throat> when I've been told all, the, all along that I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not enough. And so now it's like now I'm supposed to decide how to handle my finances. And so this is where the part where um, having someone on your team help you unpack some things so you can make these type of decisions. So one of the things that I step in and do is I really allow people to unpack some things. And what I find is that a lot of this, even before their divorce was rooted in childhood trauma and they unconsciously bring that into their marriage. And so unpacking this stuff helps you realize a lot of the lies that you've been told about yourself. You can't get anything right. You're not good enough. When you lead with that, it's hard to, to say, I need to get this financial information for me because you've been told the complete opposite your entire life. So having someone else on the team helps them come to Catherine and Karen and say, you know what? I do need this. And it's scary, especially if you've never looked at numbers before and your spouse has always made the decisions or you may have been in a um relationship where there was financial abuse or financial infidelity, you're telling me to take power over something that I've been afraid of my entire life. And so it takes courage, right? And, I, and this is the part that I tell everybody, it takes courage to step into the unknown. And so this is an unknown, uncharted territory. But in order to cultivate that trust, you have to take the courage to build the confidence to trust yourself. Does that make sense? So it's a stepping stone to this thing. And, and knowing that it builds, 
And the more it builds, the more you realize you're, you're, you're coming into your own identity outside of what everybody else has told you. Isn't that so important to do before you even go hire an attorney? Because, you know, you said exactly what happens. You know, yeah. you don't know how to take that step to ask for the information because you, you're leading with negative information. So you, we see that all the time. So you go hire someone who you think is a pit bull and you say, I need, I want to screw them over or I need this or I, I, I need to live where I'm living without even knowing. And then you let somebody else take the lead for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. You have to think long term on what these decisions are going to do to you. When you when these emotions are intense, it's hard to make big decisions. And so you you need a couple of different people on your team to help you navigate. Um, there are times where, yes, you, you may need a lawyer. I mean, that's just the facts. But I think b- before we, we do all this and we lead with I want to get them, I want to get them. I think it's important to really allow yourself to kind of really get some level of emotional stability. I believe that wholeheartedly before you make all these big decisions in that moment, because you can easily look up, you know, a year or two from now and be like, I can't believe I did that, you know, and I'm not an avid. I don't really promote hurting other people because you're hurt. I know it's easy to do, y'all. I get it. Let me tell you. (laughs) Get it. okay? like I get it. And I, I do. But it's my job and it's my responsibility to really help you think long term and make good decisions for yourself, your kids, and your family. And that way you can walk away knowing that, you know what, I was fair and I did what I needed to do and I had the help to do so. And letting someone see where you are in terms of numbers, I think that is so crucial. Actually, probably before you even get a lawyer. Because you want to go in with a level of knowledge. You don't want everybody telling you everything where you don't have, when when you don't know anything. I I don't think that's a good practice. Um, That's so true, Tanya, because when you go to an attorney or a mediator, the first thing they're going to ask is, what do you want? And most people lead out with their emotions. You know, they want a lot of things emotionally. So Mm -hmm. if you if you don't know what the financial impact of that is or the impact of any decision, you know, you're going down a road of um, chaos, for lack of a better word, because, you know, you're going to end up hiring several attorneys by the time you get to the finish line. Yeah. But but something you said earlier, you know, just about having the conversation, we have that a lot with um, our clients who happen to not be the financial manager and they can't see how they would have that conversation because they say, well, thus my spouse is going to get mad or, you know, it's not going to be received well. And Frankly, that is true. And I'm not a coach, but I can see how the response is not going to be positive when you start asking for information, when your whole relationship has been based on something different. But I don't think that they realize that the spouse has been relying on that relationship for the entire time. So it's also going to take them some time to pivot, for lack of a better word, to whatever you're trying to accomplish there. So how do you help your clients have those tough conversations while understanding that this relationship a lot of times has been longstanding? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think deep down, people know what they need to do. I think it's the fear of doing it Mm -hmm. that they're afraid of. And so one of the things that I ask my clients is, what is it that you fear? Because that's really the biggest thing, because I think 
I could be wrong. I think women are some of the most wisest people. I just do. I really do. Um, and when you talk to them, like more one-on-one, you talk to them with a level of compassion um, and you you start to dig more deep into what's really going on. What is it that you fear? And a lot of people fear the response. They fear the reaction that they're going to get. And the thing is about, you know, cultivating this self-trust is understanding that your needs matter and being okay with the outcome from the other person. They're going, they may lash out. They may send you an ugly text. They may call you and and, and say all these hurtful things that you want to avoid. But this is where you have to have a plan in place and a strategy, meaning that you know your spouse more than anybody else on this earth, whether you want to admit it or not. So what this means is that now you have to have a strategy, meaning that you don't have to always reply. You don't have to always respond. If, if they're reacting um, due to their lack of emotional intelligence or the fact that they're hurting too, know that that's not personal. That has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with them. Learning how to, again, making this distinct separation of things, realizing that, you know what, most likely they're going to call me and this is going to turn into an argument. You can say, you know what, I don't want to talk about this right now. Let's talk about this when you're more calm. Know your, this is where you have to start stepping into your power. That is self-trust is, is having that level of control and, you know, and building it because you can lose it. You can almost be, fearful of your your spouse because they may have always been the decision maker they have always been the the financial bookkeeper of everything they may have always been in control of everything where you always had to ask for permission and see now you don't have to do that anymore and so you have to realize that I don't have to ask for permission anymore give yourself permission you don't need anybody to give it to you and doing that is is really the game changer is is being okay with knowing that you're going to get a response that you may not like, but proceed to move anyway. And most likely they will eventually come along, but you have to stick to it. You can't be one foot in, one foot out. You got to be all in with you and say, you know what? Anytime they come at me, I'm going to do the same thing. And once you do that, they'll get it. Remember, you got to know that you teach people how to treat you based on how you treat yourself. And so you've created this dynamic and maybe that wasn't your intent, but know that you can, you can uncreate it. I don't even know if that's a word, but you can uncreate that dynamic by relearning the value that you have in yourself and also teaching people how to treat you now. That's your power. Okay. Let's just stop right now and just replay that 15 times. Right? Like that was very it really, Tanya, I, could, I couldn't even say it better. It, it, I can't even change a word. It, if we could just replay that, if you're listening to this podcast right now, just press rewind and listen to everything up to this point, because I have chills too, because I'm thinking about not just so many of our clients and we're in every state and actually in a few countries right now. So it's all the same across the board. We are all the same if you're going through this process and so many assessment calls, I can't even tell you who would benefit from just hearing that. If you can gain strength for, you know, they always say women helping women. We have a lot of men too. So I think men can, can resonate with this as well. But, um, so, but for more, the majority of their women who have not been the financial bookkeepers, as you say, um, this is so powerful and it is so life-changing to, 
to change that behavior for yourself and, and to have that self-trust. And I give yourself that permission. I was writing things down as you were talking and be okay with getting the response that you know you're going to get. Like you already know that nobody has to tell you, you know, and, and that's okay. Being, and I always say, be, you know, a little comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, so basically, yeah. Right. This is this is really powerful. And financial knowledge is your right. It is definitely your right. Um, you deserve better. And I really just don't even know what to, else to say. I just want to rewind and replay, rewind and replay. <laughs> well, I want to come at it from a different angle, because mm-hmm. I think this also lies in that space of self-trust. So, you know, if you are the financial manager of your family, and you're mm-hmm. going through a divorce and you ju- you want to avoid the conflict. So you just start taking all the responsibility and paying all the bills and, um, you know, putting, taking on more jobs and putting more stress on yourself so that you avoid that conflict of the spouse during the divorce or, or even post-divorce. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's self-trust that lies in that space too of, you, you know, you're a union and you're still a union. And if you, you know, if you still have children or financial responsibilities, that other spouse still needs to be at the table. Yes. Um, listen, <laughs> I am, you tell me one child that's free and I want to meet them. Okay. And I, and I say that respectfully and I'm going to be honest with you. It goes beyond just, buying clothes and shoes. We're we're talking about day-to-day needs, grocery bill, the light, the gas, the extracurricular activities, the braces they may need, the unexpected surgeries, the recreational activities. Um, There's so many different things um, from a financial perspective. Um, One of the things that I'm honestly say that I really took pride in was taking care of my kids financially. But I will also say, I led from an unhealthy space of that. Like, I'm going to do it regardless with or without you. Like, that was my energy behind it. Um, But it caused me more stress than I needed to have. And one of the things about parenting is that you want to be a, a happy parent. I do believe that happy parents raise happy kids. I do. And being financially stressed is not good. Um, you know, one of the things that I teach my clients and I was doing some research and I don't know if it has changed, but it costs for a middle class family at least a quarter of a million dollars to raise your children by the time they turn 18. That's right. And the reason why I want people to look at these, because this is a numbers game. This isn't nothing personal. This is kind of like the business side of parenting. And so when it comes down to the cost of raising a child, Your financial obligation should be something you should take pride in, both parents. Like, you know what? I get to raise my children. This has nothing to do with the fact that you all don't get along or you all didn't work out. You have to learn how to separate the two, which is why healing is so important because it helps you co-parent better. I tell people this all the time. When both people can actually do their own inner work and put the child in the center and not make them the middle then that's when we can say, okay, what is the best interest for the child? And part of that is the financial aspect of it. And so I tell people, if you have three kids, I had to tell my client this, you have three kids. So by the time your children reach 18, it would have cost you, what, um, $750,000 to raise your children. 
I want you to think about you attempted to do all of that on your own. And that allowed her to think about it. Because sometimes when you are in the thick of things and someone's giving you so much strife and they're, they're verbal, verbally abusing you, you think taking the better role is to say, you know what, forget it then. I'm not even going to ask them for anything. I'm just going to work two or three jobs. And I know that sounds commendable, but it's exhausting. How can you show up for your children when you're always working? How can you be a part of their activities when you're always working and the other parent and, and you're letting them off the hook because you want to avoid confrontation? And that's one of the things that I, I really try to get my clients to understand is the importance of the financial piece that 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 matters to me deeply. I see how much it costs with <laughs> my two kids and my son's braces. I spent five figures for his mouth. <laughs> and I got a daughter now who's going through the process. She actually has to have oral surgery next week. She has to get five teeth extracted. And these things cost. And so know that taking care of your children is an honor. And that's how I want people to look at it. Don't think about, well, this person's out to get me. Are they? Or is this just a responsibility that you should uphold because you created children? And you can't see that when you're upset sometimes with the other person. It's hard to see that. And you take it out on the children. And one of those ways is a financial aspect of it all. And, And I think we have to redefine that. Well, it's even sadder when you look at when they're fighting over, I don't want you to have 50-50 custody and they're going to get it anyway. And you just spent a hundred grand with your attorneys fighting for that, that you could have put towards a fund for your children. Correct. So, you know, you can fund your children's expenses by what you're paying in legal fees to fight against something that's not even for the best benefit of your children. Right. And that's what I... That's a that's so huge because the thing is, is that if you can avoid going to court, it can save you a lot of money because all that money that you're spending could be money that could be spent on your children. Now, I know in some cases you may not even have a choice because some people right. can just be so maybe high conflict that you're going to have to leave it up to the judge to make the decision for you all. And I don't recommend it, but if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. But if you're moving on your feelings and not moving on what's best for the children, you can cause yourself a lot of financial strain just going back and forth. And so, like you said, that money could be used for for other things for your children. And so I even promote mediation for people. If you can do that and, and cut out everything else, that would be that would be a game changer for you and your bank account. That's why we work so hard with our divorce preparation platform, because it's a symmetry of information. Right. Everybody's working off the same information and everyone's working for the benefit of what's the overall best result for the family. You know, you don't you don't need two attorneys collecting the same data. The data is the data. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're right. There is less than 10 percent of the people out there that will end up in the courtroom. But there's 90 percent of the people out there that do not have to do that. And if we can align them with the information and the knowledge, then they'll make those smart decisions based on the data. And that's what we're working really hard to and align that with what you're saying. It's really would change the whole industry. It it really would. And that would be a blessing for all the, all of our children and their children, right? We've been through it already. Um, And, and I don't know why people don't get that. If we could, the hundreds of people we've already worked with, the ones that have attorneys, I swear, I say this to Karen all the time. Are you kidding me? They spent $250,000 last year on attorney fees. If we can, and all of them would probably rewind 
and do it over both sides because a lot of that was emotional expense. Yeah, emotional right? decisions. Yeah. 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 And if we added all that up, it would be insanely egregious. I mean, I just can't even, uh, I, it gets me going every day because I see what they're paying for in the exchange. And then yeah. it always circles back to what really was based, is going to be based on the data. You know, all those emotions don't mean anything to, to the system, except for it was a right. lot of money during that time period. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. So yeah. even if you are in litigation because of what Tanya said, high conflict relationships, you can still approach it in a different way. You can still be grounded in self-trust and knowledge and in that space, make your decisions. That That's invaluable. That's priceless um, because then your decisions never change, right? You may compromise, but the facts don't change. And having that ability to do that is is critical. Uh, it, it's not even value. It is valuable, but it's necessary is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it really is very much so. Well, thank you for that. So Tanya, can you provide some examples of practical exercises or activities that can help individuals strengthen their self-trust when they're going through the divorce process? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest things for people to do is honor their thoughts and feelings. And I say this because if you don't honor your thoughts and feelings, it'll show up in your decision making. Right. So like Catherine, I know you just said when you said 250,000 girl, listen, I was like, oh, my God, like that is a lot of money. And I think about how you also mentioned it was driven from an emo from e intense emotions. So if we can honor our thoughts and feelings. It allows us to work through them. Right. As opposed to sweeping them under the rug, acting as if they don't matter. You know, we, we live in a culture where we're supposed to keep it moving, right? I want people to think about when you're going through a divorce, a lot is unfolding from your family, your finances, your friendships. Um, you may even have to sell your house. You may have to move. There's a lot of different components, right? And you're picking up the pieces and everyone's telling you to be strong. That's a lot. And so you're not even leaving room to even allow yourself to say, you know what, this sucks right now. And that's something that I didn't do. I made a lot of emotional financial dis bad decisions in the beginning of my divorce. I went out all the time. I spent money that I just really didn't have all because I didn't allow myself to really say, you know what, this really impacted me. You know what I mean? But I didn't give myself the space to acknowledge that um, because I didn't think I could. I thought I had to always like be strong all the time. And that strength is um, exhausting to maintain and upkeep. And so I think when you allow yourself to really allow yourself to feel and call it for what it is, don't say I'm angry. What is it really? Are you disappointed? Are you discouraged? Are you, are you afraid? What am I afraid of the unknown? Why? Because I've been in this for 20 years. And even though it may have been the best decision, I'm scared because I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. That's where we can start unpacking things. Right. We can start getting to the root of things. I think that's one of the uh, one thing. Another thing is to honor your needs. You know, like you, we, we talked about um, earlier, I, I mentioned that sometimes I think a lot of us know what to do. We just don't do it because we might be fearful of what other people think. So what we what that also does, it causes us to minimize our needs. 
it causes us to not listen to what it is we 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 truly need. We will neglect our own well-being. We will start to disrespect our boundaries. We'll find ourselves disregarding our priorities um, and overlooking and ignoring our self-care. And so what do you need is probably one of the hardest things I can get women to say. Because guess what? We take care. And when I say that whole, we take care of everybody thing, we have hats for everything. Our children, our spouses, our friends, our family. Our friend can call us and we will stop everything and we will listen. We will dissect their problem. I'm talking about we will look through it through a microscope. We're trying to figure out, girl, what's wrong? I got you. But then when the tables turn, it's like we just, we, we don't take our needs into consideration. So when you don't self-care yourself, it turns into self-neglect. Another thing is to honor your value, your value system. Um, I take pride in people really, you know, centering themselves and what it is their value. And I'm talking about their core values. And see, when it comes to your core values, one of the things I tell my clients is that your core values, if you sacrifice your core values, then they don't matter to you. You have to be willing to suffer for them. That's how deep your core values should be. You should be grounded in your core values. That should be a very, that should be a compass on how you move and how you make decisions in every area of your life. And so, and, and the last thing is to honor your word um, with you, right? We can, we, you know, I, <laughs> I don't like it when people say they're going to do something and don't do it. It, it just bothers me. Um, and what I had to also learn is that I had to give myself that same level of word um, when it comes to saying, you know, what, I'm not going to take that anymore. And I had to honor that no matter how much it hurt, no matter even if I may have feel, I may feel rejected if you don't like it. I'm OK with let me just feel this rejection. I'll get over it because I can't handle how you treat me. You can't talk to me like that. You know, those types of things are important. When you say, I won't do it anymore and you keep doing it, you're dishonoring your word. And so those are the four things that I think people need to start learning how to honor, meaning that you need to cherish them. You need to know that it matters because you matter. And the more you do that, the more you start to trust yourself. It is a conscious choice, especially for those who have never done it, don't know how to do it as new. It is something that you're going to have to consciously choose every single day. 1%. That's all you need is 1%. The more you do it, the better you become. And the more you start to create and have a new identity. And so I would, I would say that those are like my top four. Okay. Mine too. Wow. <laughs> we have to rewind that and play that about 10 times too. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Tanya. Really, thank, thank you. you for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. You're welcome. This concludes. This episode on nurturing self-trust on the journey of divorce, learning to trust yourself when you're making those really big financial decisions. Tanya, how can our listeners find you and learn more about you? Yes, they can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is I am Tanya Carter. Uh, my website is tanyacarter.com. Um, my podcast, you can check me out over there, Purposely Thriving Podcast. I'm on all you know, podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Tanya Carter. So all things Tanya Carter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just all things Tanya Carter. <laughs> and they should be. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you so much for a great conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. If you're considering divorce, make sure to protect your wealth with divorce financial planning from My Divorce Solution 
Our certified divorce experts will help you untangle your finances and understand your settlement options so you can negotiate your marital assets with confidence. Protect your financial estate with divorce financial planning. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to see if you qualify to work with our financial divorce experts. That's MyDivorceSolution.com for expert divorce financial planning. Thanks for joining us on another episode of We Chat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you're looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.